You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. Man, it is really, really nice to know that God will meet you wherever you are. I don't know if you anticipated or expected to hear from him today, but I'm so glad. Well, let me just say, um, my name is Pastor Ernest Grant. I have the privilege and honor of serving as a lead pastor of this amazing church, Accelerate Church. Woo! So grateful to be here with you today on behalf of myself, my lovely wife, Sarah, um, and all the servant leaders we call the Dream Teamers. We just want to say welcome home. Uh, We're so happy that you're here. Um, And if you're new with us for the first time, let's just say that we're thankful that you decided to spend a portion of your weekend with us. And uh, if you take one step in your relationship with God today, that is what we would consider a win. Um, And I would be remiss if I did not say that today is Father's Day. Come on. Man, that's why we had something today called Donuts with Dad. Um, and let me just tell you, like, Dad, you are so important and valuable. Um, you, you are not interchangeable. Uh, you cannot be replaced. And when a dad is emotionally healthy and present in, in the life of his children, it really gives them an advantage because they're able to, to navigate the complexities of life with joy and confidence because their daddy was behind them. And so today, we not only celebrate the dads, but we celebrate the father figures, the bio fathers, the stepfathers, the the fathers in ministry, all those. Why don't we put our hands together for all the dads in the place today? And I hope this word encourages you, encourages your soul. I'm in James, the third chapter today. James is Jesus's little brother, and he has some big words, though he's a little brother. I'm only going to read one verse of scripture because it's so packed. James chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 6 for you. I know this might not sound encouraging, but it really is. It says, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a word of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire. And it it is of itself sent on fire by hell. I know some of y'all are like, is this a Father's Day verse? But I promise you we're going to get there. It's going to be encouraging to you. Father, I thank you again for the abundance of your grace and your mercy towards us, Lord. Thank you for this Father's Day. I thank you for all the dads in the place. I pray that you will bless them, that this word may be encouraging uh, to all of us, not just our dads, but that it will fall on fertile soil, that people will be deeply impacted by the word today. So, Lord, we thank you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody that agree with that, say You know, a a few years ago, um, I was flying from Philadelphia to the West Coast. And at the time, I'm going to be honest, I was really inexperienced with flying, but I was really surprised that it took me longer to get to the West Coast than it did returning to Philadelphia. And I remember thinking, like, why is this? How is it that we're getting home an hour earlier than when we left And then that's when I began to do, you know, like any good person, I did something called a Google search. I don't know if you know about a Google search here. Like I am a WebMD searcher, all that, check my symptoms, everything. That's what I do. So I got on there and I found out that there was something called a tailwind. A tailwind is a gust of air that helps a plane to get to its destination more quickly. And the opposite is true as well. There's something called a headwind that will absolutely slow down 
an airplane if it's in the air trying to get to its destination. And what I've come to realize is that the same thing that applies to air travel is the same thing that often applies to fatherhood and motherhood. In the words of Brian Loritz, dads can either be a a tailwind or they can be a headwind. They can be a tailwind that helps their child go through or get to their destination much more smoothly, or they can be a headwind that impedes their progress. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what type of dad are we going to be? What type of father figure are we going to be? What type of person are we going to be in this season? And some of you know that this tailwind, headwind thing is true. Some of you know that because, well, let's be honest, you had a headwind dad. He thought of you as a nuisance. Let's just be honest for a second. Let's just do some group therapy. Can we do that? Even though I'm not a therapist, so let me rewind that. You know what I'm talking about. Let's just talk about this real quick. Some of us had dads that thought about us as nuisances. They never inquired in our lives. They never wanted to know what was happening with us. They never spent time with us. The only thing they cared about is that we got good grades and we didn't bring any babies home. Some of us had really, really selfish dads, where our dads, they only cared about themselves, or they rather spent time drinking and smoking or partying, spending time with their friends. They just did not want to spend time with us at all. And so what's happened is, for some of us, it's taken us years and years of therapy to undo the brokenness. So some of us in here, some dads in here, like you didn't feel encouraged today because you were like, how am I going to be a good father when I'm still dealing with the fractures in my life from my father. How can I be a good dad when I struggle incessantly with daddy issues? Because maybe you had a good dad, but now nobody ever measures up. Right? So, 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 so that's what's going on. So some of us are wondering, like, how do I deal with these daddy issues? And how do I become a tailwind dad when I've only experienced a headwind dad? And when you have a headwind, dad, let's just be honest, it really, it forces you to squander valuable moments of your life because you get to your adulthood and you find yourself still undoing all the stuff that happened in your childhood. Can I alliterate it a little bit? Is that all right? Because you know I'm a black Baptist preacher deep at heart in spite of these clothes. You should be pursuing your purpose in Christ. Instead, you're perpetually processing the pain of the past. So what do you do? And Loritz would argue that that if you have a a headwind dad, it can really impact you. But if you show me a tailwind dad, what they do is they set up the trajectory of their kids so that they can have success for years to come. But here's what I want you to know. It's one of the ways that you can be a tailwind dad in your kid's life is by understanding the power of your words. By recognizing that the things that you say And the influence that you have will shape your child's outlook on life. That if you have an emotionally present father that speaks over their children and says, what type of leader are you going to be today? That's there and says, girl, you, you tearing it up. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Speaking words of affirmation to that child, that can help them either build trust or live with a perpetual state of insecurity. Your words can help them either become the most emotionally healthy child or it can force them to be crippled by a negative self-image that says, I have to wear nice clothes and I've got to have it all put together because of something my dad said to me when I was five years old. 
The reason that I wear my hair like this is because my dad said something negative about the way way it was braided when I was younger. And so now I deal with that same pain throughout my life. And what's making me sad is I'm putting that stuff on my kids. What do I do? And I would say that the bottom line is simple, that it's not easy. It's not easy. But one thing you can do is be careful about the words that you speak. And the things that you say, because when you have the right words and your body language is agreeable and your presence is there, that you determine your child outlook on life. I try to do that with my kids. They get sick of it. They're like, all right, daddy, we know we're leaders. We're world changers. We're game changers. Yes. Oh, God. Stop. I don't want to kiss. No, dad. Okay. Here's a hug. Yes. Yes, dad. We're going to go tear the world up today. That's right. Ah, yeah, we know winners don't whine and whiners don't win, Dad. We know. But I'm going to tell them until their ears fall off. I don't care. But it's not only dads that have to be worried about their words. It's you and I as well, aren't we? It's all of us. Regardless of what state you're in, regardless of who you are, we have to be careful about the words that we say. Like I said last week, the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, some of us get spooky about that and we think about, you know, super spiritual things. But what I'm saying is, it's it's really regular too. It's really natural. Like when you serve on a jury trial, you have life and death in the power of your testimony. Uh, uh, When you give somebody a letter of recommendation, it's life and death. You can propel their career based upon what you say. Like, that's what's going on. There's so many other places in life. You can use your words to constructively build somebody up, or you can use them to tear them down. You can use them to help or hurt. You can use them to, to, to build or deceive, flatter people. Whatever it is, we have to decide how are we going to use our words. Because we can't be people that bless them and beat them up at the same time. And what I love about James, this is Jesus' little brother here, but he has some big words. And what he says is James is one of those people that was adamant in denying Jesus before he found out he was the Messiah and walked the earth before the resurrection. But then the Holy Ghost did something in his heart, and this man is like, yo, I'm going to speak boldly on behalf of my God and my big brother, Jesus. And what he's saying is that a telltale sign that someone is growing in their emotional and spiritual maturity is they know how to tame their tongue. They don't just say anything that comes to mind. They're just not brutally honest, even though they're more concerned with brutality than honesty. A person that is mature and growing in the faith is someone who knows when to speak and when not to speak, who knows what to say and what not to say, who knows when is an appropriate time to interject and when it's not. You know, whenever you go to the doctor, the first thing that a doctor does typically is they say, stick your tongue out. Because when you stick your tongue out, by simply observing what's going on with your tongue, they can determine a level of health. If there's a film over it, they know that something's going on. Right? And the same, this is the same thing that James is saying. He's saying, let me be your doctor for a little bit. Because based upon how you use your tongue, I can tell you about the health of your relationship with Jesus, and I can tell you about your emotional maturity. And so let me help us today. Let, let, me, let me help us today. And so in the words of Dorothy Neville, she says, the real art of conversation is not only saying the right thing in the right place, 
but it's to leave unsaid the wrong thing at a tempting time. So what I want to do for a minute is I, I want to really help us to become mature in the words that we say. And I want to I help us understand what's going on and, and why it's important that we are skillful in the use of our words. Does that make sense? So if you want to write down some notes, here is my roadmap. I'm going to give you my roadmap. We're going to have three quick points here. The first one is I want you to learn about the power of the tongue. Learn about the power of the tongue. It's on the screen. You can put it back. Number two is understanding the impact of your words. And lastly, admit the hypocrisy in your speech. To learn about the power of the tongue, understand the impact of your words, and lastly, admit the, what is that? Because the words are little. The hypocrisy in your speech. Let, let's, talk about the, let's talk about the power of the tongue. Can we do that for a second? Let's talk about that. Any sports fans in the building? Let's see. Nobody. Just me and Marcus. Okay. Gosh, all right. I'm still going to go with this because I wrote it out. And so whenever you're in sports, whenever you're preparing for another team, you get something called a scouting report. A scouting report is when you view the film and usually it's revolved around the franchise player. And what you're trying to understand is their strengths and their weaknesses. You're trying to understand uh, as much about the team as possible so that you can make an impact, so you can basically tame them or defeat them. Right? You're looking at film. You're looking at, you're looking at their ability. What plays do they often run? What are some habits that they have? You're looking at all those things. As you're looking at the analytics and a myriad of other things. And I think the reason that some of us are losing our war of words is because we're not reading the scouting report on our tongues. We think our tongues are just weak and that we can control them easily. But James is like, hold on, let me just pause here and give you four illustrations that give you some clarity on the power of the tongue. Does that make sense, family? The first thing he says is he calls it a bit in the mouth of a horse. Verse three through five. He gives us four illustrations. You can take this one off. He he calls it a bit in the the mouth of a horse. Now, I'm not really a... um, a horse, what's it called? An equestrian. There we go. I'm not really an equestrian type, so I did what any good upstanding citizen would do. I got on Google, and I looked up horses. And I found out that horses can weigh up to 1,000 pounds. And they can run upwards of 55 miles an hour because they have these large, uh, lung, they have large lung capacity and big hearts, right? They can trot at a low speed for up to 20 miles without even taking a break. And they can trample you under, a, under uh, uh, the, the weight of their bodies in an instant. However, they can be controlled by this little plastic apparatus that you put in their mouths called a bit. And he said that this bit, you can take the most powerful horse in the world, and if you put a bit in their mouth, you can easily control them and have them go in the direction that you need them to go. So here, this small, minuscule little piece of plastic can control a horse up to 2,000 pounds. So it has disproportionate power over this large animal. And the same thing that is true of the bit is the same thing that's true of our tongue. Our tongue guides us, moves us in a direction that it wants us to go, and it has extraordinary power for such a small object. He not only says that, but he also calls it a rudder. Somebody say a rudder. You know, uh, I joke around about being an indoorsman. I like books and air conditioning and comfortable sheets, but... 
I like those things. But the truth is, is that I've become a little bit more adventurous recently. Like, I, I like some limited outside activities, <laughs> right? I don't like li- limited. Don't take me camping. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go, you, amen. I don't want to go camping. I'm not trying to walk through no woods. Haven't, haven't, I'm not trying to do that. That's not relaxing. That's not life-giving. But, but if you want to take me fishing, I'm game for it. I went fly fishing. That was fun. I went uh, fishing in the intercoastal waterway. I love that. Like, that's all fun. What I'm trying to convince my wife to do in 2024, <laughs> don't tell her. She don't need to know all our business. But I'm trying to get her to, to let me go spear fishing. Have you ever seen that on? Oh, I know. I got a melanated cl- crowd. I'm sorry. Let me, let me just. <sighs> it's not that y'all don't know about it, but you're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, basically, like, you like free dive in the Caribbean. You got this little gun and you, and you like shoot it. I want some hogfish. And some sna- anyway, let me go on. Let me go. Anyway, in order to get to the spots in the reef in the Caribbean where you need to go, you need to have this heavy vessel called a boat. You need to have this boat. But, but what happens with a boat is you have a GPS system and a myriad of other things, but it's easily controlled by this thing called a rudder. Because a rudder can, it can direct it in, the, in any place that it wants. And what's happening is James is saying that the same thing is true of the tongue. The tongue is, can take a person like yourself, and even though it's small, it can lead you in a direction that you may or may not want to go. Does that make sense? The tongue also embellishes. I don't know about you, but, but, uh, but we can make ourselves seem like the most accomplished, <laughs> the smartest, and the most educated people in the world. It's an embellisher. But here's, the thir- here's one I really want to harp on right here. It's also called a fire. Do yourself a favor and do not go see the Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic World. It was awful. It was, it was not a great movie. Uh, uh, word up. Did y'all see it? It was awful. It had no storyline. It was like they took, a, took some sticky notes with some ideas and kind of put it on the board. That's kind of what it was. Anyway, the dinosaurs look good. Hold on. Come back. Come back. Come back for a second. Come back. Come back. Come back. I'm a movie critic. My cousin is actually a movie critic. He hates it. He's like, I don't appreciate your opinion on these things because you're not, you don't know as much as I do. But there's this one scene, no, no spoiler alert, no spoiler alert, where there's a forest fire and there's this, this little spark and it lights up the whole forest. It consumes animals. It consumes plant life, the trees, and everything else. And the same thing that is the, the same thing that applies to a forest fire, how it starts with a small spark, is the same thing that applies to our tongues. We can light a whole place on fire based upon what we say. Just one loose word. Just one sharp sentence. Just one callous comment, and what it can do is have devastating, cataclysmic, and catastrophic uh, uh, reaction that can burn up everything. And an interesting thing that, that, that James does here is the word fire is actually the word Gehenna. Gehenna is actually a physical place where the Jews would take their trash and they would dump it on the outside of town. Then they would light it up. Can you imagine the foul smell of trash that's just wafting in the air on a regular basis? Isn't that awful? Well, that's how the foulness of our words are when we curse people one minute, when we bless people one minute and curse them the next minute. It's like this foul stench that just pervades the air and changes a whole environment. Let me go on for a second here. And let me just tell you that, that when you do these things, You are overlooking the power of the tongue. But not only that, you got to understand the impact of your words. So not only do you need to understand the scouting report, but you need to understand 
that your words have impact. The first word that he uses is the word stain. Somebody say stain. stain. Let me tell you this. It was a few years ago. I was uh, officiating a wedding. And the couple had a great idea. They were like, yo, let's take communion. And I was like, I was so nervous the whole time because I was afraid that I was going to spill some of the grape juice on the bride's dress. And as I was backing up to do communion, it almost tipped over. But thank God it didn't. But can you imagine if that grape juice actually stained that white dress? I mean, somebody would have wanted to fight me. There wouldn't have been enough apologies to overcome that. Like, can you imagine what would have happened to those pictures? Can you imagine what would have happened to all those tears? Their day would have 100% been ruined. And the same thing that applies to grape juice on a white dress is the same thing that applies to our words to people's consciences. Because when you say nasty, arrogant words, what it often does is it stains people's consciences. It stains them. They, when, you, when you give them words of criticism and words of deception and words of complaint and flattery and all these things, it is the equivalent of staining a dress. Do not overlook the power of your words. But not only that, it's a, it's a restless evil. It's a restless evil. Now, somebody might be like, well, why is it telling a restless evil? Well, here's, here's, here's what I want you to think of. First Peter 5, 8 talks about how the devil is a roaring lion that walks to and fro on the earth seeking who he may devour. And so what makes him so evil in addition to his insolence and disrespect to Yahweh, the most high God, is that he mercilessly attacks other people. And the reason that the tongue is called a restless evil is because we mercilessly attack other people with our words. You know how we do that the most? By keeping something I call Receipts. Receipts. A receipt is when you keep a record of a past conversation for the intent of purpose of using it against the person later. Right? Now, I'm, I'm in this boat too, so I, I'm here. I am Mr. Receipt. Just call me Mr. Accountant. I can recall conversations from 1992. Anyway... What does holding receipts look like? Holding receipts looks like holding on to voice memos and screenshotting past conversations and doing screen recordings of things, right? We all do it. Now, listen, there's a difference between holding a receipt and holding somebody accountable because sometimes you got to hold people accountable to things that they said. Like you said that you wanted help getting a job, but I haven't gotten a resume yet. You said that you wanted to help grow in your emotional maturity and that you were experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression, but yet I see you consistently engaged in, in gossip and slander. What do you think the fruit of that is going to be for your life? You, you, you said that you, you wanted to have joy and you wanted to move past this old season of your life and experience the joy and happiness of the Lord, but yet you keep on holding on to things and holding on to conversations when that person has already apologized to you, they have already made amends, they have made it a public apology, but yet you still harp on it. So that's accountability. But a receipt is when you hold things in spite. It's something that you hold on to to say, if that person acts up in a group chat, I'm going to hit them with this, I'm going to hit them with that, right? 
If they say one thing to me at brunch or when we go out to dinner, I've got a whole smorgasbord of things. I don't just have receipts. I have receipts, purchase orders, statements, reimbursements. I've got everything that I need in order to demolish you. You're using your words to harm people. Let me go down your street real quick. If you're doing that, that's not love. Because 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, love is patient, love is kind. It's not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record. It is unkind. Let me tell you why. Because you are failing to show people the kindness that God has showed you. Because if God decided in his providence to pull up your receipts, there wouldn't be enough paper, there wouldn't be enough plastic, there wouldn't be enough anything because God knows who you thought about or who you judged this morning. He, he knows who you laid in bed with last night. He knows who you fantasized about last week. He knows who you were living with last year. But thank God that he does not hold our receipts over our head because he lives by the mantra that Jesus has paid it all. Jesus, you done paid it. That means that my failures, Jesus has paid it all. My mess-ups, that's on Jesus' statement. My shortcomings, that's on Jesus' bill. Stop making people pay for things that Jesus has already covered. He's paid it in full. But not only that, he described the tongue as a deadly poison. Somebody say poison. A poison is like a, a, is something that oftentimes you ingest, and what it does is it rots you or harms you from the inside out, right? So, so what happens is that some of us don't realize that our words are poison to some people's consciences. Because when you give that little negative, critical word, you don't think it's anything at all. But what you're really doing is you're saying something that people internalize. And those negative words oftentimes, according to neuroscience, lead to or release stress, anxiety, hormones into the body. So in other words, it leads to negative self-talk. And your words can create this like running script in your mind. Like, I know that you use it as fuel in the past, but eventually it's going to come to a point where it's, going, it's not going to be enough anymore. And so what I'm saying, family, is your words can be like poison. Here's the third thing we got to admit. We have to admit to the hypocrisy in our speech. James says, how does bitter water and sweet water come out of the same stream? He's like, how does a fruit tree produce apples and oranges? How can we sing Waymaker one minute and be ready to shout and speak in tongues, but get there on Monday and lie in English? <laughs> or cuss them out in colloquial statements. And what he's saying is, this type of thing shall not be brothers and sisters is we want to judge people for being hypocritical in their speech, but we're often not critical of our speech, even though we're, we're not always talking in a way that's honest. And so what he's saying, what James is saying, is that when you think about a spring, because you know I'm an outdoorsman. Got some inappropriate comments that went through my mind, but I'm going to hold them back. But since I'm an outdoorsman, you know, when you, when you run into a spring, 
A spring gives you consistent yields pretty much all year. It comes out at the same speed. It has the same temperature. It's the same clarity typically all the time unless you had a heavy rain and there was a bunch of runoff. And then in which case, there's a bunch of silt and things in the water that clarify, that, that make it cloudy. But what he's saying is we need to be consistent in our speech like that. That when your speech starts to get salty, you need to pull back a little bit. When you feel like you want to say things and it's going to become a little bit bitter, he's saying pull back from that. Recognize the hypocrisy in our speech. And I'm finished up on this. I'm finished up on this. Jake can come. Let me give you some quick, three quick application points, okay, that I want you to apply. Get your phones out. Take pictures of this, all this stuff, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to meditate on one of these verses this week. I want you to meditate on one of these verses. Now, when I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about transcendental meditation. I'm not talking about um, uh, any of that new age stuff. I'm, think, I'm talking about intentionally thinking about the truths of Scripture, meaning let your mind dwell on the Bible and let that Scripture, let the Scriptures mature you and grow you and help you walk in, in the clarity of life. Does that make sense? So let me, read, let me just read one of these, James 1, 9. Here, here's what it says. Know this, my brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Psalm 141, we should all just memorize this one. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Pick one of those verses this week and intentionally meditate. Before you pop off, go to the Proverbs. Before you want to jam somebody up, go to James. Before you want to embarrass someone, go to Ecclesiastes. See that? You see that, Ashley? That's what I'm saying. Just, just go to the Scriptures first. Before you, here's the second thing. Ask God for help. You need supernatural help. You need the type of help to, to, to get your tongue tame that you can't get in therapy. You need the Holy Ghost. The second person of the Trinity that can say, take it down. Don't you say that. Don't you, the one that convicts you. The one that rebukes you. Here's the last one. Think before you speak. Is it truthful? Is it, is it necessary? Is, is your posture right? Are you speaking totally out of emotions or, 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 or over-emotionality? Over Are you speaking because you really love this person? I'm just saying, before you do this, just take some time and ask yourself these questions. But take some time and meditate on the Scriptures. And not only is today Juneteenth or Father's Day, but it's also Juneteenth. On this day in 1865, the Union troops marched into Galveston, Texas and told enslaved persons that the declaration, not the declaration, but the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed two years ago and they're able to walk in freedom. You don't have to pick cotton anymore. You don't have to be berated or beat down or worn out by someone that has enslaved you. You now have access to freedom enjoy and as those enslaved persons walked off of those plantations they were walking off into the unknown I'm sure they didn't know what life was going to hold but they knew that freedom was better than bondage 
And I'd rather experience the freedom of this new thing than be in bondage to something that I knew in the past. And I'm just saying this, that today could be your Juneteenth. Because there was a person 2,000 years ago, a Palestinian, Aramaic-speaking Jew. He didn't represent the Union Army, but he represented the armies of heaven. And he went down and came and to live in this flesh, to die on a cross, so that you and I do not have to be enslaved to sin. So that we don't have to be enslaved to the words, the negative words that we used in the past. We don't have to be enslaved to the things we've done. He's like, listen, I want you to know that you have freedom in me. You're free. And like the Union troops that left the north and trekked all the way down to the south, Jesus left heaven to trek all the way down to earth to let us know that we've got freedom in him. Because he freed us from bondage and he freed us from iniquity. And when Jesus resurrected on the cross of Calvary, it was evidence that the freedom that you really seek, you can find in Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk today. Maybe you're walking with Jesus and and you really love him. Shout out to you. Welcome. We're happy you're here. But for some of us, we need to take our next step in the faith. And so in front of you, there's a little connect card. Uh, I want to encourage you to fill it out. The first box, give us as much information as you feel comfortable. And on and on the back, I want you to indicate what step you're taking today. Maybe you need Jesus today. Maybe you need somebody to let you know that the emancipation proclamation from your sin has happened in the person of Jesus. I want to encourage you, fill out that first box. Maybe you've been wilding and you decided that you wanted to go back to the plantation. But now you know that you're tired of getting beat and whipped and things like that. He's saying, fill that out and let us know that you've rededicated your life to Jesus. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe you just need to go to open house and figure out how you're going to plug in with us. You've been dating us for a while. Let's be honest. You like the worship. You like the preaching. You like the ambiance. You like all that we got going on. You done prayed about it, fasted about it. Here's the thing. Let me just say this. It's time for you to take your next step. Because one of the purposes that God has for your life is that you would be in a church where you can take the sacraments, where you can have somebody pray for you, where you can sit under the preaching of the word, and where you can hear the gospel preach on a regular basis. So maybe you need to go to open house and figure out your next step. Whatever it is, God wants you to do it. And so I want to encourage you today to take your next step in your faith. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the abundance of your grace and mercy given to us richly in your son Jesus. Lord, we love you. We honor you. And we thank you that you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody that agree with that, why don't you say amen with me? Amen. Why don't you tune your attention to the screens for ACTV News?